Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. We are on episode 22, Clyde Drexler episode. Ooh, we should have retired in- this episode. Dave, you've got your your Clyde. I did not come in my Clyde Drexler shirt tonight. I should have. Oh, I should have come. For shame. Yeah, I still have one Clyde left. It's his Hall of Fame induction T-shirt. It. Uh, you probably can't see it. Let me get up there. See there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, any case, yeah. I mean, Clyde still got to be a favorite, if not the favorite Blazer. I, you know, Dame, yes, but I have to let Dame be retired for a little bit before I try to put him in perspective with Clyde. So, hey, you know. Yeah, Clyde's one of those that if you've been a Blazer fan for any amount of years, if you watched Clyde play, he's a favorite. I, I don't know that there's anyone that watched him play that didn't love him. He's just, he's like, I mean, it's Dame has that in con. I mean, I don't hear anybody ever say they don't like Dame either, so... One of those players that will really leave an impact as as a blazer. Do you like dunks or three pointers, basically? And each one has the same effect, just with a different methodology. And I, I've got to say, there is something irreplaceable about young Clyde soaring to the hoop, and you knew it was coming. I mean, you can you know Dame's is coming too with the arc and whatever, but Dame kind of quickens your heart. Clyde literally transported your whole self into that dunk. He wrapped you up into the ball and slammed you through the hoop, uh, and you weren't the same after. And I still, to this day, remember and claim, whenever we talk about Clyde, he's the only Blazer I've ever seen who made opposing audiences stand up in their in their seats stand up yeah. from their seat he did when when you saw him charging the entire arena no matter where you were stood up and that's like something and that's that's huge yeah you know it, i mean i say all the time if michael jordan hadn't played in that era clyde would have been the one that people walked away talking about he was something and a very different player than dame for sure I mean, he was my favorite. He's he's the one that made me fall in love with the Blazers as a kid. And I, I've i told the story a million times about the life-size poster on my wall. And I still have a couple t-shirts and a jersey. And I will love Clyde forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, it doesn't matter. He can have his milkshake on the team flight. I probably would, too, if I were him. I like milkshakes. And I like dunking. So I like Clyde. So uh, what what's on uh, what's on tap? This, this has not been the greatest week, really, for our Trailblazers. No, Blazers. it's been rough. It's been rough. We had the Jazz. We'll just start it right off. You know, we we played the Jazz. We lost. It was a rough loss, 122 to 103. We had a good first half. We played some defense in the first half. And then in the third quarter, we just lost it and we couldn't get it back after that. Yeah, not atypical of the Blazers that good things do happen, but not for long enough and not regularly enough. And with Utah, though, that's a tough ask because they do what Portland wants to do. They just do it 
better. They have the three-point shooting. They're the only team that uh, shoots more threes than Portland does. And they do it with immaculate passing and all five players. And they work on both ends. And there's a reason that they have the best record uh, and are leading the West. So, I mean, it's a tough ask. It's like... The people who it was like coming like okay, I have three of a kind, but my three of a kind are jacks, and your three of a kind are aces. My three of a kind is going to lose, and there's nothing else I can do with this hand. I Aren't mean, jacks you, higher than aces. What's Isn't that? an ace a one? I don't. Yeah, no, and no, in poker, an ace is high. yes, oh. Dia, yes, jacks are higher than aces. I immediately want to play poker with you right now. Let us start. <laughs> when I was young, we I was like a late high school. Some of my friends were playing poker just you know for fun. And I was watching and they all chucked their little, what are they, chips? Yeah, chips. Chips in the middle. And I looked at it and I said, well, how are you going to know who's or who's? So poker is not my game. (laughs) I can teach you how to play. (laughs) In any case, yeah. yeah, uh, So, yeah, they just got... They just got, they didn't even get outplayed. They just got out themed. And you knew at some point that was going to happen. I thought they did well to keep close in the first half, but it half won't do. Three quarters of a game won't do. A a week of good play won't do. And Utah doesn't have any of those weak points. So, hey. Well, we move on from the Jazz. (laughs) Yeah, quickly. Enough said. Yeah. And uh, we did beat the Pistons 103 to 118 the same night. And as Cantor set a franchise record of 30 rebounds, 12 of them were offensive. That was a big night for for Cantor and exciting. You know, it's fun to watch. I love watching things like this happen and just watching everybody get so the whole team just explode and get excited. It was a good win. It was a good win. Yeah. And look, he is a very likable player for me. I love watching him work. I love watching him rebound. And what's really funny is it's not like this is Dennis Rodman where you see it coming. You know, Rodman always put the mustard on the hot dog. He would just like a force coming in there and he would emphasize his rebounds and you knew who and where he was. Cantor, you're like, oh, he's standing there. And then all of a sudden it's like, and he's got the rebound. And And when he gets it, by the way, his footwork in there is so good and his sense of space is so good that he is always a threat to put it back up, which is a lost art in the NBA and something you've got to appreciate. This is a, a throwback to some of the really good offensive offensive centers of the past. Now, he is not Patrick Ewing, obviously, but he has that skill set to where you would not be ashamed to put him on the court in the 90s or in the 80s. And it's just fun to watch him work and the enthusiasm which with which he played. So, you know, if he if the, he's going to hold a franchise record and have a memorable game, I think the Blazers are well served with that. And I like that better than say I'd like Carmelo Anthony doing it cuz I think Cantor is more Portlandish. I mean, Melo is great. I'm not objecting to him, but I'd rather have Cantor go down and be able to remember him fondly for something he did in Portland and nowhere else, uh, which has set that record. So I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of Cantor. I was sad to see him go when we let him go. And when we got him back, I was really happy about that. I, and I think he's been a much needed addition to our lineup. He's obviously been huge for us with Nurk being heard and obviously a very different player than Nurk, but it's been, it's been fun to watch him. And, and yeah, he's like, you, you have to like the guy. 
like regardless of what you think of him as a player and you should think highly of him as a player but regardless of that like he's just fun he's fun to watch he looks like he's having a good time you just you can't you can't be mad about it Miami, a little matter about perhaps, right? That was a tough one, 107-98. And what really struck out or stuck out in that one was defense. And Miami plays it and Portland doesn't. And Miami won that game with defense, absolutely no doubt. And they did the playoff thing where they put two men on Leathered as soon as he crossed half court. But they also had an athletic enough reserve, you know, goalies basically, to where they also bothered Portland shots and got the rebounds. And that was all they had to do, frankly. And they really, it wasn't just that gimmick either. They really controlled that game in the second half with their defensive effort. And I don't think actually athletically they are better than Portland, but they're not that much better. But it was night and day the different you just watched a team that knows how to defend as a team and it made an enormous difference and to portland i mean look you got to chalk it up okay that miami might be better than portland at this point but portland should also this is one game i think they should hang their heads about a little bit going we could have been that or we at least could have been closer to that than we are right now Yeah, that was a rough game. Uh, You know, I tend to think that Miami is a team that we can beat. We didn't, obviously. And and Miami plays much better defense than we do. You're right. That's just what it is. And that made a huge difference. It was a weird game. And in fact, after the fact, there was a whole lot of talk on Twitter, on social media about something being up with the Blazers. Like, what is going on? They just don't seem like themselves like something's going on something's up something's off and after the game when they do all the media availability and everything jason quick of the athletic asked coach terry stotts a question he asked him how the blazers would get out of their funk and stotts response was i'm reluctant to say we're in a funk So I guess it's hard to answer the question if I don't believe the premise. And then you and I got a question on Twitter right after that from Sean Dart, SDart0, it looks like. And he said, I'd love to hear your and Dave takes, your and Dave's take on how Stotts handled the funk question post game tonight. To deny that this team is in a funk is to be watching these games blindfolded. Something is up and it's not the team's defensive rating. I think we've talked before about how Portland as an organization has a line. They have a way of dealing with things. And I think that one of the ways of dealing with things is I think they tend to be, I think they tend to paint things in a positive light, even when they're not. And so I think Stott's response is very Portland-esque where he says, well, I don't I don't think we're in a funk. You know, I'm not going to answer it if I don't believe. Like that was, he avoided it. Well, I guess. But the fact is that that there's obviously something is not clicking because we're at the point where our players are back. We, you know, we're mostly healthy and, and this is the most stacked roster we've had in a while, even according to Portland, you know, to the stats. Ooh, I hit the mic. Sorry. About that. Um, I'm waving my hands around over here. And so That being said, it shouldn't be looking like this. Uh, So I get it. I get why people are saying something's up. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the avoidance of the question? What do you what do you think? Well, let's look at the premise first. Let's let's see what maybe Stotts was talking about. And there's there's like three or four levels to this, but let's take it the easiest level. The Blazers are six and six in their last 12 right now. 
See what commonality you can find. Here are the wins. An injured Miami team with no Jimmy Butler. A devastated Orlando team post-trade without their new players there. Uh, Toronto also missing Kyle Lowry and in a deep slump. The Detroit Pistons twice. And the Oklahoma City Thunder also most of their starting lineup injured. Okay, those are the wins. Right. Now see if you can find a commonality between the losses. Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Clippers, Utah Jazz, a restored Miami Heat team, and the Boston Celtics. Which we'll get to. Yeah. Some of those teams uh, are different than others. And basically every right. <laughs> every losing team or rampantly injured team that the Blazers have played in the last couple of weeks, they've beat six wins. Every yeah. decent team or good, we should say it's been more than decent. Every good team they played, they have lost to. Now, some teams have been better than others, but still, they've lost those games. So I think the premise that this is a funk is actually somewhat incorrect. This is not emotional. Agreed. This is chess, okay? Right. This is chess, and when the other players play chess better than you do, it's hard to win. Now, basketball is not exactly chess, but this is looking very much like, I mean, the simplest explanation, the logical explanation is the one. The Blazers are not a really good team, but Stotts cannot say that either. By the way, he can get up there and say, oh, no, it's not a funk. We just we're just really mediocre and vaguely suck. I mean, that's, that's just Dave! that would that would sell out everybody in the locker room. OK, um, so I think that that would, the deflection was less a deflection of, you know, or less a defense of the team that we're good and more of, well, you know, there are reasons that we are losing and it is not, has nothing to do it's with emotion or rah, rah. Yeah. I can get up here and say, win one for the Gipper all you want. We're still not going to beat the Nets right now or the Bucks or the Jazz because we're just not that good. How's that so far? I mean, do you, what do you... Here. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, like you said, we're six and six right now. If you had told us last year that that was our record, we would have been good with that because we were not playing as well. That's not terrible. And also the fact is we haven't talked about the game that we just played tonight against the Boston Celtics, which we lost 115 to 116. It was solid. It was a good game. It's the best I feel like they've played in a while. There was ball movement. There was defense. Nurk was playing well. And like you and I have said a million times, Nurk makes all the difference in the world. He is a he is a, a, a deciding factor here. It's such a frustrating thing for me in some ways because I feel like teams ebb and flow. They get on a hot streak and they do really well. And then sometimes they don't do really well. And you're right. We're not we're not a top contending team in the West right now. You know, I will not go as far as to say we vaguely suck. I think that's harsh, but I will say that we are number six right now, I believe. So we're not in the top three. We're not in the top four. We haven't gotten there. So obviously we're not the best in the West right now. But that being said, I, I don't think we're playing mediocre basketball. I think our defense is struggling. There are obviously things we need to get together. But to say that it's a funk and to criticize what we're seeing when you look at that, when you look at the fact that it's, I mean, we've talked a million times. Everybody's been talking about how difficult this part of our schedule is going to be. There's all these back-to-backs. You know, they've condensed the season into 72 games in a very short time. So there's all these back-to-backs. They aren't getting rest. Our schedule is the hardest schedule, I think, of anybody in the league in the second half. We're traveling the most. We're having we have all these back to backs. It's it's tough. It's rough. We're not going to see them come out and play 
and win them all. They're, they're just not. I don't know. I think there are so many things that, that contribute that, that are not just being in a funk. Sure. Now, but let's hold on a second now. I think there is some funkiness going on. But, and this is too layered here. Number one, I think the funkiness has to do with some individuals. And I think it shows up on the defensive end. I think it can be summarized as more energy going into offense than defense. Right. Now, A, that's somewhat permissible if you're a scorer. That happens with all NBA teams. The The problem with Portland is you got too many players like that, right? B, it's kind of enculturated. I mean, like we've talked about this before. I mean, we celebrate achievements besides winning. We celebrate looking good. Right. We celebrate scoring a lot. We celebrate Carmelo Anthony climbing the NBA list. Fine. Good enough. Okay. But that's not a win. <laughs> you know, that's not. And and so that real dig down commitment, and especially when you get teams that, A, take away your best stuff like Miami did, and B, get really physical with you and knock you around while you're trying to look pretty like Miami did, right? The, the Blazers don't respond well to that, and they don't tend to get more intensity on defense. They actually tend to get less. They tend to back up. They shoot longer shots. They they get more space in between them defensively, and that's kind of, I don't know if that's coaching. I, I, I know that's not coached that way. Nobody says, here's what you do when teams challenge you. Right. <laughs> play less or play less well, but it is kind of the personality of this team. And that is kind of funkiness. I mean, I would say that another team can put the Blazers in a funk that way, and they kind of know it. A lot of playoffs opponents have known this. I think the Pelicans did it. I think the Lakers did it. They're, I mean, Golden State did it repeatedly. If you're good enough and you're willing to play hard-nosed enough, you can Andre Iguodala this team into a loss, basically. And that's what teams do. But here's the last layer. The coach can't talk about this. And I, I've, I've mentioned this sometime right, before. Right. I, I get this a lot. Our positions are not analogous, but you, you guys know I'm, you know, I work in a church. I'm a pastor. And people ask me a lot of questions and bring a lot of complaints to me. And, and, and one of the main ones is like, are you visiting so-and-so? Right. Well, here's the thing. I can't answer that question. That's right. not, I mean, that's I mean, what may have really happened is so-and-so has told me, you know what? I don't really want to visit right now. I find them kind of annoying. I'd like to be left alone, but I cannot tell that person. I can't right. sell it. I have a greater responsibility to the person they're asking about than I do to the person asking the question. So right. I have to say, okay, I'll check on that. Thank you very much. And if they come back with, you haven't visited them. I have to take the yelling at, I have to take the unfairness yeah. rather than sell out the other person. Okay. It's the same with coach thoughts when you're talking about yeah. the individuals on this team. Absolutely. The, the coach cannot go, you know what? There is a funk and it's because of this player. Right. right? He's Even essentially acting as a shield. Yes. Between the media and the, and the team. He's, mm -hmm. he's taking the hits instead of calling out what may or may not be going on. Right. So, you know, if you ask the question, and the problem is you can't be too vague as a media member. But if you ask the question, what is going on? Give us your honest assessment of what's going on. You're probably going to get a different answer than if you ask, hey, what about this funk you're in? How do you get out of it? Because as Coach Stott said, there's a premise behind that that right. may or may not be true. And, and I, I don't want to blame 
Jason Quick because it's really yeah. hard to ask those questions. And well, or sometimes those questions are pointed in a certain way for a reason. I'm not saying there's right. a perfect question. I'm not saying it's Quick's fault, but I understand Stotz's response to that. And yeah. I don't think I don't think it's cut and dry that he's lying or uh, yeah. dodging or anything like that. It's just that the question doesn't beg a great answer. Yeah, you just, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We never do. And so, you know, they choose what is going to be fed to the media and what's off limits. And I think that, you know, when you sit there in front of those questions as a coach or a member of the team, you do the best you can to answer them the best that you can. But also your allegiance isn't necessarily so much to the media as it is to the organization and to your teammates and to the guys you're coaching, you know, and, and as far as the question, it's a pointed way to ask a question. It was trying to pin down the fact that, Hey, this is what's happening. Now, where do we go from here? Rather than getting a roundabout answer. The problem is that they still got a roundabout answer. Right. Right. And, you know, the media themselves know this. You know this as a media. There was an incident a couple of years ago now where a media member said CJ McCollum played kind of dirty. And there was a big blow up from that. And that media member actually, you know, it took a while uh, to smooth that over. So what you say has repercussions in that locker room, even if you're not part of the team. When you right. are part of the team... It really has repercussions. I'm not saying you can never be critical and never say anything. I think Coach Stotts has actually a couple times, but he doesn't tend to. And he will not call out an individual publicly, even if we will, or even if everybody knows what's going on. Personally, as a human being and as a fan rather than as a media person, I respect that. I respect that a lot. I respect it. I know it can be annoying when you're a fan and you're reading these things and you want to know what's going on or when you you're a part of the media and you're trying to write about something, I, I can understand how that's frustrating. But as, as a human being, I appreciate the fact that there's some, you know, that, that somebody can be struggling or having a rough time or whatever. And they, they know that they're not going to get called out on it publicly. I, I just appreciate that. I think that there's something to that. Yeah. So anyway, here's the long or short answer to the long question. You want to know what the funk is about? It's about this. If you're going to go with Yusuf Nurkic, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. in your front court, that's great. You need one more defender in the backcourt to make that work. Choose one. That's it. There's your funk right there. If you get one more defender in the backcourt yep. who can also score, then your funk is not nearly as bad. But if you don't, you're always going to be funky at some point. Because you know what? As we keep saying, defense is what raises your floor. Defense is what keeps you from losing. Offense wins, right? But right. defense keeps you from being too bad even when you're off. The Blazers don't have that cushion. They've got to hit their threes. They've got to have a ton of scoring. And if they do not, they are going to lose. And any team that can take that away from them is going to beat them. There is your funk right now. And it will not change until that backcourt gets better defensively. I saw a quote. I don't know. It was some team or somebody that posted it. Somebody I should quote them that I can't because I can't remember who it was, but they said um, defense is the best offense. And I thought, don't you mean offense is the best defense? Because that's what we do. <laughs> right. But, you know, they say defense wins championships and it's kind of true, but not because defense actually wins championships. Defense keeps you from losing before you get to the championship. 
basically. Like, right. you know, because there's always going to be those games that are going to be up in the air or when you're not going to play your best. And in the long NBA playoffs, that's going to have, I mean, it's a 28 games potentially. You're going to have some stinkers in there. You, yeah. The way you don't lose those stinkers, and by the way, series can pivot on a single game. The way you don't lose those games when you're not your best is defense. There's a reason that both of them are part of the game. They're both important. You don't see teams win championships that are really good at one and terrible at the other. Usually they're really good at one and and a little bit worse at the other. You have to have both. And that's that's what we're struggling with. That's not a secret. Our defense is 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 just lacking. It's yeah. just lacking. In any case, you saw it. Miami had it. Portland didn't. It really showed up. Now, on a given night, could the Blazers outshoot Miami's defense? Sure. But in a seven-game series or over the course of time, Miami's probably going to beat Portland more right now because Portland's offense is good, but not as not that good. And Miami's defense was really good. Now, the Boston game, you saw two games that two teams that didn't defend as well. They did in fits and starts. There were moments where Portland really played well defensively, not enough of them. There were moments when Boston played well defensively, not quite enough of those either. The big difference maker. I thought in the Boston game was Yusuf Nurkic. He was mobile. He actually did it a little bit in Miami as well. He's done it for a couple games in a row. He's been more mobile. You've seen him. Uh, he's gotten some block shots, actually. And he's been on the floor diving for loose balls. He's been able to be in the middle and also get out on the perimeter, yet get back to the middle. Again, that's the secret sauce for Portland. And he's made it work. So I, I'm encouraged by Nurkic's defense. I thought he made a difference for the team. It's still not enough right now because he's not, A, he can't be everywhere at once. And B, he's still not quite in good enough shape not off the minutes restrictions quite yet either. So it's it's not decisive, but it's getting there. That's good. But ultimately, this game became a coin flip. And the Blazers usually win coin flips, except for what happened was Boston was smart. Jason Tatum got the three-point shot instead of Lillard. He, he got to play Damian Lillard. He hit his shot. And then Marcus Smart got two free throws at the end, but they knew the Blazers had no timeout. Smart missed right. the first. Didn't think, he, don't think he meant to do that, but he intentionally missed the second. And then yeah. they trapped Lillard on the rebound, so he had to throw over two players from literally the ninety-foot length of the court. There's even that's outside even Dame range. So I mean, it was yeah. a brilliant ending, but the Blazers let themselves vulnerable for that. And if you let games be close, that's going to happen. I did think they played better against Boston. I, I think also though. Boston is Portland East. Boston has been seriously underperforming. Yeah. And it was just which team, which underperforming team is going right. to be worse. And yeah. by one point, it was Portland. Yeah, I was happy to see how they played, though. And it, it makes me hopeful that we'll see them play that way next time, too. I saw some good. I saw, you know, there was there was more ball movement, I feel like, than than maybe normal. There was more defense, I feel like, than than normal. You know, like we've talked about so many times that Nurk came in and was a big difference maker. Those are things that we need to keep seeing. We need to keep seeing defense and we need to keep seeing ball movement. We need to keep seeing Nurk come in and and play like Nurk plays. And if that happens, we're going to see better results than what we're seeing right now. Even though, even though we lost tonight by one point, one point, a one point loss. It's still a loss, Dia. That's Dia theory though. No, I know. A loss is a loss. Absolutely. I know. I know. I'm going to contradict myself slightly here, but a one point loss at any point in that game, it could have gone the other way. So I feel better about that than if they'd kicked our butts. I mean, 
on on the loss side, when you only lose by a sh- like we played better. I think yeah, be- because it's Boston, myself. because it's Boston, I think that can hold true because it was a fairly even game that could have gone either way. I mean, a loss is a loss. I think you're right. right. And, you know, one point loss to the Bucks or Jazz might have been encouraging, actually. I think in this case, because it's Boston, that is true for me as well. But look, let's talk about this. How do you change this culture? And I think you need to change from the tippy top down. I've thought that for a while. But that said, even if you don't, one of the things you can ask is, what does this team celebrate? And this team celebrates offense because that's what the stars do. This team has under-celebrated defense. I mean, Alfaro Camino and Robert Covington, we give them lots of credit. We talk about them because we watch the game. And, you know, the team really knows that those guys are valuable. But what's really getting the high five? What's getting the, yeah, we're awesome? It's the three-pointers. It's it's the 30-point scoring nights. This team needs to get to the point where they celebrate a defensive possession with high fives and, you know, congratulations. And let's smack Robert Covington on the chest with our palm and say, this is you. You did this for us. You're our superstar. And my 30 points wouldn't matter except for what you just did. I think if you had that kind of group celebration, and I think the coaching staff probably does this. I'm sure Terry Stotts rings his bell for good defensive plays, not just three pointers, but somehow I don't think that's leached down to the team. And I think it's simply because the two stars are phenomenal, but they don't play defense. And so you don't celebrate defense. Well, it's like it's like a movie. It's like a movie production. You know, movie productions are are huge. It takes a huge team of people doing a million different jobs to create a movie. And and yes, of course, it takes good acting. The actors are front and center. They're the flashy ones. They're the ones that get all the attention. But all the people behind the scenes doing the hard work. Not that acting's not hard work, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're doing all the all the all the grunt work. They're the ones that really make that happen. And I feel like. That's kind of the difference between offense and defense. When when you're shooting a three point from the a three point shot from the logo, you're the actor. That's the flashy look at me. I'm playing this game so well move. Whereas the guy who's playing defense and blocking a shot or keeping someone from making a shot or stealing a pass, it's just not quite as flashy and it's not quite as you know. Look at me, look at me. It's it's then immediately overshadowed by the guy that now is back on offense shooting a three-point shot again but he wouldn't have made that if you hadn't stolen the ball and I think it's really easy you know I think we get so focused on that offense and we get so focused on those shots and especially watching a team like the Blazers who makes those shots on a regular basis and who does it with flourish and who does it from a logo and who does it you know and with two seconds left and and whatever else that becomes so much of their identity and their focus and and what they are. I have said before, I, I really love watching defense and I really love watching ball movement. When all a team is doing is shooting threes over and over and over again, quite frankly, that gets a little bit boring. Well, and Nurkic, okay, went to the floor tonight. And that's no small thing for Nurk because he's still not 100%. He went right. to the floor on the defensive play. And yeah, the play run af- ran afterwards, but there was a stoppage after. And I didn't see four other people going to him and saying, you know, hey, it's you, slapping him on the back. Right. Saying, Way to get on the floor there. You're awesome, right? Uh, it just was kind of a play. And 
granted, not everybody does that for a McCollum or a Lillard or a Powell 3 either, but you do get the walk. You get the Stone Cold Steve Austin walk when they hit a three and come off the timeout. Their chin's in the air, and they know they did that. I would like to see people go for Nurk or go for Covington or whoever and start doing the little things that start to change this culture more toward a culture of defense. Even if you don't have the best players doing it, at least you have the priorities. And, you know, it's just realistically, it's just not there right now. I mean, uh, the, the Clippers, 133 points. The Jazz, 122 points. Yeah, you held Detroit to 103, and you held Miami to 107, but Miami wasn't trying to outscore you. Uh, Boston gets 116. I mean, there's there's a lot going on there. I mean, even Toronto, 117. It's not Toronto, 117. Uh, Miami, when they beat them, 122. 116 to Brooklyn. 132 to Dallas. 119 to Dallas. Those are big, big, big numbers. I mean, and at a certain yeah. point, you got to go, this just isn't sustainable. Anybody who can trip you up in any way is going to beat you if that's how much you allow. Again, this is no secret. It's no secret that we need to to do something about defense. And th- at this point in the season, there's no making moves with players. So we have to figure out a way to improve what we've got. Right. And, you know, I, I think you're right. I think that putting emphasis on that would make a difference. I, I don't know how how that looks, but I, hopefully, hopefully we'll start to see some of that. Long story short, there's your funk. Gary Trent Jr. is obviously no longer on our team, and so we're not going to talk about him forever, but he continues to kind of be in the news for things with the Trailblazers. So this week, there was a video that was released. It was like a little kind of documentary, mini documentary about Gary Trent Jr. And one of the quotes in it was Gary saying, for the first time in my career in the last three years, I feel like I'm wanted. And it blew up the internet as far as the Blazers fans. Um, it was it ranged everywhere from people being happy for him that he's somewhere good to people wondering what the heck he was talking about and saying how loved he was in Portland and how they didn't understand that to people just being downright angry at him for having the gall to say something like that. It's interesting. You know, it's interesting. I well, let me, uh, you go ahead and talk about this first, Dave. I want to hear your take before I, before I give you my two cents. Well, I mean, what do you want him to say? Uh, look, there's, there's want I'm sure Gary Trent would say Portland's a great place to play. The fans are great. The team has good chemistry. Although there's a little crack here in that you do know who this team is about and who it's less about. You just do. Yeah. You absolutely do. So if you're looking to be one of the guys it's about, there's a certain wall there that you're not going to be able to breach as long as that Lillard McCollum um, duo is reign supreme. I don't, I'm not saying that Dame and CJ build that wall. They, I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they're right. welcoming. I think Dame is probably one of the best team leaders to have in the entire universe. But that doesn't change yeah. the fact that that you're not Dame. <laughs> you know, you're not right. CJ. And if you play guard, this is the other point. If you play guard, you're behind them. What are you going to do? And there's not just being wanted is not just an emotional thing. It's not just a fit thing. If you are a professional basketball player, you want people to want your skill set. You want people to want you to be on the floor. 
Jerry Trent Jr. was not wanted on the floor in Portland that way. He was fine in a reserve role. I think everybody felt they were lucky to have him as a reserve as he developed. But they didn't really, nobody wants to see Gary Trent Jr. on the floor when C.J. McCollum is sitting there. They want to see C.J. McCollum on the floor in big minutes. And that includes C.J. McCollum, by the way. So, and Damian Lillard, same thing. So, you're not really wanted when you're not played to your full potential or you don't feel wanted, what he almost certainly meant is Toronto wants to start me. Toronto wants to play me. Toronto needs me to be a difference maker winning games for them. And that's the first time I've been wanted in that way in my entire career. And he's absolutely correct about that. Yeah, I struggle with this a little. I think that when you're a person of influence, when you're a, a celebrity a a well-known person an athlete you have to be cautious about how you say what you say sometimes and i wonder how the players on on the team who accepted him and mentored him and worked with him and loved him and became friends with him felt about something like this and maybe maybe this is me being too sensitive about it but it it felt it felt a little harsh that being said i agree with you I can see where he's coming from. I think it was very evident that that he wanted a starting role. He wanted to be in a now this is this is just my speculation from you know watching him. Um it it seems like he wanted to be in in that kind of a role. I think most people probably do um that are you know starting out their careers and young players. I think he wanted to be on a team that would obviously value him. I think everybody does and i think exactly what you're saying that that was not he was not ever going to be the number one number two even number three player in portland as long as dame and cj were here as long as nurk was here i mean even getting norman powell although we wouldn't i guess that wouldn't have been an issue if we'd had anyway he he was not going to be in that role and so then you put him in toronto and he's immediately starting and he's flourishing I also think there's maybe something to be said about the fact that personality wise, he didn't quite fit the culture that Portland is trying to create. You know, we talked about his scuffle. I called it a truffle <laughs> with the Lakers team the other night. And and he's he's aggressive. He's always been aggressive. You see it in his play. And I wonder how much they tried to kind of have him scale that back to fit this kind of mold of Portland being the the clean cut well behaved yeah, i don't think they want to be that way though but i think they come out uh, that way i i i think there's maybe some of that within the organization then they're I, I mean, foolish again, this they is need speculation. that they need that aggression uh, but you know what they I, we, do no i agree i'm not saying this is how it should be i'm saying that it appears to me sometimes that as an organization they want a certain appearance not physically but like um i don't even know if personality is but marketable or something yeah yeah and so i you know i agree i think we need that aggression i think it was good coming from him i think that was i that was one of my favorite things about him it is what it is i think he's obviously well within his right to say that i hope that that it was taken the way that it was supposed to be by whoever needed to and let's address what you said though i mean the players publicly have said congratulations gary go get your contract uh and we're glad you can start 
So it wasn't them who didn't want him. I don't think it's right. them who who no, knew the opportunity. If anybody is left holding the bag, it's the Trailblazers organization. Right. And they should have given that bag to him in Gary's right. view, right? Yeah. So and and that's legitimate. I mean, he wasn't literally they decided they were going to dump him for what could very well be a rental because they thought that rental first of all in Norman Powell would be better than him. And because they were not going to pay Gary Trent what Gary Trent was worth on the open market. They weren't going to do it, even though they had the right to match. They weren't going to do it. So they just told him, literally, we don't want you. And they could have wanted him. They could have yeah. wanted to keep him. They didn't. So I think that that, you know, yeah. if anybody's going to get their feelings hurt, I mean, if it's directed anywhere, it's probably at the organization. And I think Trent. Junior probably said what he meant to say in some ways because it's literally true they didn't want him. There's another kind of headline-ish thing. There was a story that came out just recently talking about how the Blazers had been pursuing a trade for Aaron Gordon, but refused to package Anthony Simons in that trade. And therefore, it did not happen. What do you think uh, about that? Uh, this is a dia. This is right up your alley. Oh, no, man. We, we love our current players, but Aaron Gordon's fitting in pretty well in Denver. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that was a dumb move. Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Can of I course. say dumb in reference to a trailblazer move? <laughs> totally up to you. Um, a rare moment, uh, yeah. listeners. I don't think that was smart. I, as much as I like Ant for me, Ant, Ant, Ant for me, Simons, yes. And Ant. As much as I like Ant, my tongue, I'm getting tongue twisted. It's okay. As much as I like Ant, I think that Aaron Gordon would have been a good move for us. I think that was something we should have tried to make happen, assuming we didn't have to give up, obviously, one of our starters. And Ant isn't one of our starters. And I, again, I like him. I think he's developing. I think he's going to hopefully be a really good player. I think he is replaceable. I think there's a lot of young talent. I think that if we had made that move and we'd gotten Aaron Gordon and that would have added to our defense, it would have been like what you said, one more defensive player. I think that would have put us in a position to make a more solid run. And then we could have dealt with the the younger player issue later. That That's the kind of thing you can always get a younger player later. We could have dealt with that later. But I think right now we've talked about before is the time that we need to be making moves and trying to make a run for a chance championship well we've got Damon as prime I think Aaron Gordon would have been a, a, a part of that versus holding on to Ant that I mean he I think I think if we hold if we continue to hold on to him which it looks like we may I think he may be a future part of the future of the Blazers but it's really hard for me to focus on that when we have Dame right now I just keep thinking about this team if we had added Aaron Gordon to our current team that would have been exciting I would have loved to see that so I have to go with the fact that I don't think this was a good move I think that there should be very few untouchables quite frankly Dave I'm even getting to the point where I think there may be even fewer untouchables than I've said in the past it's hard to watch this it's hard to watch a team that has potential just not live up to it because our defense is so bad. So to me, I think, you know, we got to start, we got to start doing something. We got to start making some of these changes. And I think that that is one that should have been made. Yeah. The Blazers are showing you who they are right now. I mean, there's no, there's very little doubt at this point. 
and you're absolutely seeing it in terms of the defense and the losses. And this is what happens with Ant coming off the bench with this current unit. And by the way, he's not even playing. So, I mean, it's it's a move for the future. But again, what future? You're not going to trade CJ? I mean, if you kept Gary Trent Jr., or, or I was traded for Gary Trent Jr., rather, you're not going to trade CJ? Well, then where's Ant playing? He's your third guard right. at best. But then that leaves out Norman Powell. So you're not going to keep Norman Powell either? So now you give up Aaron Gordon and Norman Powell for Anthony Simons. That doesn't seem like a great move for a franchise that is trying to win now. <laughs> I mean that's yeah. that doesn't that doesn't seem real smart. Uh, so you know you ask yourself the question. Yeah, I mean three years from now, Ant may look great. He may be the right. next Dame. Who knows? But right now, with the actual Dame that you know you have, what is it? What is better? Right. You have Powell, CJ, and Lillard starting at those three small positions, and you have uh, Anthony Simons coming off the bench or not playing, or you have. Aaron Gordon, and then Robert Covington slides to the three, and you have Dame and CJ, and then you have Norman Powell spelling Covington at the three and CJ at the two uh, as a backup guard, and even a play creator a little bit at the one, which looks better. And I think the that, second option looks, looks better. <laughs> better. So I don't think that, I mean, if Dame said at the beginning of the season, as rumor has it, we need to win now, make moves that win now, this kind of wasn't it. So the Blazers are kind of Jekyll and Hyde or mushy middling it again. Um, And and the other thing to think of is what happens when Simons hits uh, restricted free agency or whatever his contract runs out, right? Yeah. I mean, because look what's happened now. You have um, Zach Collins who is going to hit it and I'm not sure he's very good and you might just let him go. I don't know. But you're not going to resign him for much and he's not doing much. So if a player doesn't do well, that's not really good. But then you have Gary Trent, who really did well, and then you traded him away so you didn't have to resign him. So he did well, and you're still not going to keep him, which is not very good. So whether a player flourishes or whether a player is a bust, you don't benefit. (laughs) So how is this going to be different with Anthony Simons then? You're just doing the same thing later. Uh, I'm not not buying this. I think if that was the price, and, and granted, I can see Simons becoming really, really good. Yeah, for sure. That's not what we're looking for right now, unless you've already raved the white flag on this roster. At what cost? That's the thing. So is Anthony going to become this fantastic player at the cost of a championship? Is Anthony going to become a fantastic player at the cost of an actual shot at Dame getting a ring? That's not worth it. It's not worth, you know, hoping that Anthony is going to be a fantastic player in in exchange for what we currently have it's just it, it just wasn't a good move it just wasn't a good move well last thing too raise your hand if you want damian lillard to be a blazer for life i mean hands went up all over blazers yeah. nation right raise your hand if you think that lillard and simons can play together in that backcourt no i mean maybe <laughs> at some point that was a very fast answer go ahead maybe it's at some point, maybe, but right now, no, I, I don't see that. that. I mean, How do you, I mean, if, if, even, if, even if Simons becomes CJ McCollum and scores 25 a game, which would be fantastic, and hits three-pointers, you know, that 25 a game, where's his defense? He doesn't have any. He's, yeah, not, just, he's not better than CJ or Dame. So you're no. just getting the same thing again. And, and again, I, I, you take this, Dave doesn't like Anthony Simons, doesn't think he's going to be good. He may be great. It's just, the problem right. is, even if he's great, it's not going to do what you need it to do as a franchise. 
Yeah, no, I like him a lot. He's, I really like him. I've been really glad to have him. I think he's been fun to watch and I think he's really improving and I, I like that he's there. This is not at all he my own CJ personal- too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I, not I, getting done, folks. Look at the record. Look at the results. Yeah, it just, it's there, not need done. There needs to be change and there was an opportunity for it. If the piece that kept us from getting Aaron Gordon was CJ, I would be saying, okay, I can see it. I get it. I understand it. Okay. I don't know how I feel. I have mixed feelings. I, well, I told you how I feel before. I would have probably sided with keeping CJ. But to not get someone who's potentially a starter because of someone who's coming off the bench and that could be replaced, I just don't get that. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand. Dumb move. Dumb, 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 dumb. Yep. Caveat, who knows if this really happened? But I mean, if that's true, I agree. But I would have said the same thing about McCollum at certain points in the past. And even now, if the package would have been good enough for Aaron Gordon, uh, I would have I would have moved CJ for him because you know what? I would slide uh, Norman Powell right in there. Uh, but and, would we have been able to get Norman Powell and Aaron Gordon? Well, we got Norman Powell irrespective. We've got him for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Do you know what the package was that they were working on with Anthony? Yeah, we don't know. So, right. So, so that could have, it may not have been a both. It may have been an either or. We may yeah. not have been able but, to. Get both. But that said, even if it wasn't either or, if you are keeping CJ, right? Let's go back on the CJ thing. If you're keeping CJ, it would have made a lot more sense to trade for Aaron Gordon than Norman Powell. Because what's Norman Powell going to do? Where's he going to go? I Norman Powell, though. I I do, but you can't have Lillard, Powell, and CJ. That's not going to work forever. I want them all. I know. (laughs) Just get Aaron Gordon, you'll be happier. But anyway, that's that's water under the bridge, and Gordon's looking pretty good in Denver, so it's a little ouchy. Now, they lost Jamal Murray, which is really going to hurt them. So Denver may not be the burgeoning juggernaut that uh, we feared. But then again, Portland isn't either. They may still be better than Portland. I I like what Denver did. I got to tell you, I like what they did. And Jokic and then Aaron Gordon is a really nice tandem to have in that front court. Uh, So, hey, I mean, what can you do? It's done, but let's just, ah, I can't even think about it too long. This is not something we've really done before, but we had somebody who sent in some questions for us. Ooh, um, nice. We had so, a Twitter question earlier, too. Yeah, so, yeah I know. We're, we're getting we'll some interactions. That. So this is from Andy. Um, he sent it via email, which if the email is Blazers Sub, so B-L-A-Z-E-R-S-U-B U-B mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Yep, it's what Anthony um, Simons is, a Blazer Sub. <laughs> Okay, so uh, there's a few questions here that kind of have parts to them. So the first question is, why so many one-on-one isolation plays? Dame, CJ, Norm, and Mello all have game, but all a defense has to do is collapse on the one play on the one player and defend the passing lanes for the kickout, and the possession is almost certainly lost unless they hit the shot. I see CJ get the ball, and it goes no further. I love him, but if he is on they are on and if he is off we get down fast yes and no there are so many iso plays because all those great scorers are iso players 
Lillard can get assists whenever he wants, but really the ball in his hands is where you want it to be. C.J. McCollum is an isolation scorer. Carmelo Anthony is an isolation scorer. Norman Powell is more or less an isolation scorer with little less than the others, okay? Also, here's the other thing, is that who are they going to pass to? Robert Covington cannot create his own shot. Derek Jones Jr. cannot create his own shot. Everybody else, I mean, uh, Anthony Simons, although he's an ISO scorer too, and uh, Nurkic is the only guy who's in the middle of all this, by the way. Everybody else is either a total self-scorer or totally can't. (laughs) So basically, moving the ball is not moving the ball in a team sense. It's just moving to a different person who's going to score. Right. That's the way the team says. I can't shoot it. Here, you shoot it. Yeah, uh, kind of, right? Now, <laughs> we're being a little harsh because they do get the ball to open three-point shooters. This is why Derek Jones Jr.'s three-point percentage has gone up and Robert Covington's is to the moon. It's not because he's dribbling three times and stepping back and hitting a three. It's because all those ISO scorers are drawing attention and they do get the ball to Covington, which is the one asterisk to the question there. It's not so easy to defend the Blazers' isolation scorers and the passing lanes. That's not incredibly simple. Some teams can do it like Miami, but many, many cannot. So uh, their offense isn't a problem at this point. There was another part in it that was kind of sketchy that the dependence on CJ. eh. And and by the way, I don't buy because this is the, the goal that the Blazers trying to set and they kind of done it that you can shut one player down, but the others are going to score. And even if you shut Dame down, there's a reasonable chance that CJ and now Norman Powell are going to go off, let alone Carmelo Anthony in the second unit. So they've got enough of them now that it's just not that simple. This is not the Pelicans, you know, team that went down to the Pelicans a few years ago. It's much, much different. But long answer to your short question, they play ISO ball because that's how their best players play. End of story. And anything else is going to take away their strengths. Doesn't mean I'm happy about it any more than you are or that it's pretty or that it's whatever. This is not even really Stott's ball, by the way. This is not Terry Stott's ideal offense, but it's what they're set up to do. Yeah, they do it because they do it well. That doesn't mean that they can't move the ball. We see that happen from time to time and we see things like that go on. You don't fix what's not broken. Did I say that right? I feel like I butchered it. Okay. Um, and, and right now, if, if you start making changes to the things that are working, we're really going to be in trouble because <laughs> we already have issues that need to be fixed. Right. So, and and so, ISO doesn't mean selfish, by the way. I mean, right. Cantor's a little bit of a black hole sometimes, and Mello can be, but then who's Mello out there with? I mean, he's not out there with four people he can pass to. Maybe he's out there with one person he can pass to. And right. you know what? Carmelo is going to be Carmelo. Those are the, the really the two black holes. Anthony Simons is as well. But uh, of the regular rotation players, everybody's taking fairly appropriate shots. I, I've said this before with you, Dia. The Blazers don't take bad shots very often. N- right. Nowhere near the amount they did in years past. Their shots are almost all pretty good looking, either from a great scorer who's mostly open or uh, a reasonable scorer or a good shooter who's wide open. I mean, you can't argue with that too much. So the second part of that was, why not more motion offense? On February 4th, at the end of the road trip, Blazers ran a motion offense without Nurk, CJ, and Dame and beat the Sixers in Philly. Uh, Score 121-105. Gary Trent Jr., Simons, Mello, and even Ellaby all rocked it. We saw what Gonzaga did in the tournament. That's what Golden State did 
before Durant, move the ball, please. And I think that the answer to this goes right back to what we just said, that essentially those players play a little bit differently than, you know, some of our other players. And they were able to do that in that case. But and and we see it sometimes we see it sometimes. It doesn't mean it's always going to work. Right. Well, and uh, there's a couple more caveats to that. Number one is. I believe, especially for Derek Jones Jr., motion motion offense would be better. I would like to see more motion offense. But first of all, who's the passer? I mean, it's not just guys moving. You got to get them the ball. And who's who are the passers here? Damian Lillard is one. Norman Powell, eh? CJ McCollum, no. Robert Covington should not be initiating. He should be benefiting from the motion. Same with Derek Jones Jr. and his canter. No. And that was your problem with the motion offense is you have one passer and emotion offense doesn't work real well when you have basically one passer. Now, here's the other guy, though. It's Yusuf Nurkic and he can make reads and he can pass the ball. But Yusuf yep. Nurkic has not been playing. And that answers right. some of your question, because now yep, you've got a second true. pivot point to move the ball with and to move players around. And I suspect you're going to see more of that. But even there, there's an asterisk, because how much are they really going into Nurk? And right. when they're going into Nurk right now, you know what? Nurk is starving. Nurk ain't played. Nurk ain't getting a lot of shots because you know what? Now there's not just two guards out there who can score 20. There are three. So right. when Nurk touches the ball, guess what he's going to want to do? This is literally my only shot all game. All right. My, you know, I'm going to get nine shots this game. I'm going to take them. I'm not going right. to pass. Right. So you need to get a little more, more normalization of his playing time and their playing style. Then I think you'll see some more motion come back. Which kind of leads to the next question, which is Nurk versus Cantor starting. If Nurk is still hurt, why start him? Nurk. Have him come off. Nurk. Huh? It's Nurk. No, it's Nurk. Oh, you don't want me to finish the question? <laughs> if, if, if that's the crux of it. And because this, well, also, hold on. Let's, let's stop a second with the motion offense, too. Why is Ennis Cantor Ennis Cantor? Because shots are coming up basically from the perimeter or from the other side of the floor from where he is on the drive, and he's able to stand still, doesn't have to worry about a damn thing except watching the ball fly and rebounding it. Doesn't have to worry about passing. He knows when the shot is coming. He can clock those offensive rebounds. As soon as you complexify the offense, make him move, make other players move around him and bring more traffic into the lane, he's not offensive rebounding anymore. So he is like your, he's kind of like your anti-motion offense, which is one reason he should be coming off the bench. Another reason he should be coming off the bench is he's nowhere near the defender Nurk is. Even when Nurk is at 80% right now, he's twice the defender that Cantor is. He's also getting rebounds. He's getting some blocked shots. He doesn't get the offensive rebounds, but the, the man can pass. Two things Cantor clearly does better. Offensive rebounds, which, eh, you know, how much you need those is up to debate. It'd be better to hit the shots in the first place. But also, um, Cantor scores better close to the bucket. But how right. much are the Blazers taking advantage of that from the pivot right. position? Not much. Those are your only two arguments to start Cantor. Everything else says Nurkic. So you go with Nurk. Yeah, I mean, I'll finish the question and then I'll answer it. But it said, if Nurk is still hurt, why start him? Have him come off the bench and spell Ennis until he gets his legs back. Cantor gets those second chance points that often keeps us in, but Nurk's inside game and pass look a bit off. Uh, yeah, I, I side with you, Dave. I think Nurk is the obvious answer. We've said from the beginning, he is the game changer here for us. We played for a while with Cantor. And I, I think it's really, this This goes to the the glitz and the glam again. You know, Cantor is is getting all these rebounds and he's making it look pretty. And so it's, I think sometimes people don't realize 
all the other things that Nurk does that Cantor's not doing. And so in that situation, like he's, he makes, Nurk makes a huge difference. When Nurk is off, it makes a difference. When we don't have Nurk, it makes a difference. Nurk needs to be starting. I don't even think, I don't think it's a question. Organizationally too. I mean, who's going to be yeah. with you? Look, uh, if your wife gets sick and you get to go to the opera with a coworker, fine, that's fine. But when your wife is well, you better not be taking that co-worker to the opera anymore. You get to go with her, right? And that's the way the Blazers are. I mean, Cantor, we don't know if he's going to be there. We don't know if the Blazers can afford to keep him. Uh, Nurkic is still under contract. They're still depending on him. Now, they may trade him, but that that's speculative. You've got to keep the guy. You can't say, even if he's injured, you can't say, hey, come on, Nurk. Cantor's playing better. Why don't you sit? That's going to break right. an already no, broken season. of course season. not. It's the same reason we don't sit Dame when Dame has, a, you know, an off night or sit, like you just, yeah, no, I Except agree. it'd be even worse. I mean, Dame, I could talk into it because he's here for four years and he's Dame and, you know, he's not going to like it for long, but he'd probably do it. It would break Nurkic. I'm pretty yeah. sure that he'd be like, what? I mean, this is exactly the Denver situation, right? Back yeah. Where, yeah. You know, they benched him and yeah. uh, I don't think you want to do that. It's not pretty. The starters and the bench, there's a lot that goes to that that's not just cut and dry, simple thing. I, I think there's a lot there that, that you know, there's there's things written into contracts and there's things written in, I, there's so much to it. It's not that simple. Right. Um, well, and this is the answer to the thing that's been going around this week. Well, why do you play Cantor and Mello together? It's a defensive problem. And it is kind of, they do need to stagger them a little more, but it's not so simple. Where do you hide them? Where do you, you got to play both because you can't bench mellow because then that's a problem too. And by the way, you don't have a lot of scoring off of that bench. So, I mean, I, I guess if you're starting Norman Powell, if you bring Powell off the bench, you get a little bit more, which I think might be a better solution that would free things up. But as things are, well, what are you going to do? How do you get yeah. Are you going to start Cantor to stagger him away from mellow? Now you're solving a, a smaller problem by creating a bigger one. It's just... Yeah. You got to understand how the whole picture fits together or by the way, how it doesn't. Sometimes the picture is impossible to fit together and people are going, let's just move this here. And you don't realize that you didn't make it better because the whole picture doesn't settle out. Yeah, no, it, it needs to be nerd. Last question from Andy says, finally, Dame, he looks hurt. He's our heart and soul but they need to stop having him carry us all throughout the game. Other teams have been pressing, double teaming him the second he crosses half court and the offense gets stagnant. He needs to help with screens at the half court line to get him moving. I like it when Mello runs point forward, takes pressure off Dame. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yes, you're okay with Dame. You're okay with your observation Wait, hold on, about Dame. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. You always joke about needing video for my arm flailing, but, yeah. but we need video of your face with this question. <laughs> Dave is rubbing his head. Yeah. His eyes are closed. He's he's barely functioning at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's such a multi-layered issue. You're not incorrect about Dame needing more help. Um, the problem with... First of all, the problem with bringing a screen to half court is then you bring a big man to half court and Dame can curl off that screen and shoot, but you really don't want him coming off a screen and shooting logo shots. That's not his. His logo shot is one-on-one, -on -one, right? And the, the opposing defender is backed off. You don't want to run action for that. And the, the other problem is you bring a big man into the picture and a big man coming into the picture. You know what big men are going to want to do to Dame? Anytime Dame gets near him, they're going to want to hit him. 
And this yep. is part of what Miami too. They got him in kind of close action, multiple defender action, and they bumped him around. And the, when you see knees collide out there, it's not like they're trying <sighs> to hit knee to knee. No. But what that tells you is they are so dang close on him all the time. They're trying to rough yeah. him up. They're trying to body him as much as the rules allow because they want him to feel pain, because they want him to get fatigued, because when he goes up for the jumper, they want him to think, is anybody going to hit me? Not, am I going to hit this shot? Yeah. So you don't want to bring more action out there, like with screens and stuff like that, not that high, because you're going to have very little benefit and you're going to muck up what's already a problem. That said... How's the team constructed? Again, what was the uh, one thing we said at the beginning of the season that everybody was screaming about that perhaps was the one last piece that we needed? We don't have a what? We don't have a backup point guard. And everybody was saying, yeah. well, Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons has done remarkably well this year, but he is a shooting guard the way he's playing right now. He yeah. does not make passes. He cannot read the floor. And he is going to, by the way, if they trap Simons, he's going to drop the ball. I mean, it's not that's not going to be pretty. So right. uh, you, you don't have that help that you can bring in. Can you run uh, CJ and Norman Powell? You might be able to do that. Maybe they should experiment with that but Powell isn't a proven passer and CJ really isn't Carmelo Anthony may be the one guy on the team who's even less of a passer but than you're all not, of the above yeah but you're not I mean you're not gonna you, oh boy can you imagine oh man yeah we're not giving Melo Dame's minutes yes you're, you're the, the Andy you're you're correct you're you're absolutely correct about him needing more help and him needing yeah. fewer minutes and other teams being able to take advantage at this point in the season. And once again, we find that there's no good solution. But you know what? Even no, when there even when there was a good solution, even when they had legit backup point guards, which they had for seven several years, they didn't pull Dame. <laughs> Dame well, just and, plays and, all the and minutes. Some of that is Dame. I mean, you're gonna have to drag him kicking and screaming off the court, honestly. So some of that is on him. We're at a point right now where this is our roster for the rest of the year. There's yeah. no, there's no roster changes. So we got to work with what we have. And and you just ran down exactly why this is our best option. I would support this. Carmelo, CJ, Norman Powell, splitting up reserve, okay. you know, ball handling duties. Get Dame out of there for the second unit shift a little bit. You can still play Robert Covington. You can still play Ennis Cantor. Now your defense is going to suck royally, but you can pump up some of those minutes for some of those other players and generate a whole lot of offense. And I think between the three of them, they could probably manage a little bit of ball movement. That said, again, realize that the most likely thing to happen with those guys handling the ball is either the player dribbling the ball down the floor takes the shot or there's one pass and then another player takes the shot. Okay. And sometimes you'll get a drive and dish, but CJ doesn't drive all the way to the cup. Norman Powell does. He, I think he's the best hope for doing some of this. Carmelo doesn't drive all the way to the hole anymore. So you're not going to get a lot of drive and dish action off of that or a lot of corner three actions off of that. So your ISO problem is actually going to become worse than it was with Dame. So you're coming up, you're bumping up against the limitations of how wide your roster can go and what you can do with it. And sorry, I mean, we were we were hoping that Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. and Ennis Cantor, the additions thereof, would really broaden out the possibilities on this roster. And for various reasons, including injuries and the inherent limitations of those players, it just hasn't. It just doesn't work that way. So I don't know that there's anything much to do in this last month except play hard and pray. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. You know me. I have hope after watching them tonight. I think next time we're going to see a little more of this. And I just, I just, I have to hold on to that. I have to hold on to the hope that it's just going to magically come together. Well, let's look ahead for a second and then we'll go. Uh, it gets a little bit easier, although it doesn't get a lot easier. These are all playoff quality opponents, potentially. San Antonio comes up next on Friday, but at least they have a couple days rest. You'll, you'll hear that tomorrow when you hear this, the San Antonio game. Um, so that's possibly winnable. And Charlotte is not a powerhouse. They've been doing well, but at Charlotte on Sunday is a possibility. So uh, call those good. You got the Clippers which even though it's in Portland, you don't have high hopes for Denver, uh, you know, again, they just got Jamal Murray back. They just lost him. So, but Denver's going to be a tough ask, but here's the key after those four games, San Antonio, Charlotte Clippers and Denver, you play Memphis three out of the next four games and how the Blazers can handle the Memphis Grizzlies is going to determine a lot of their story. And I say that because you, you hope they come out two and two out of the next game, which basically means their 500 ball continues if all goes right. well. Okay. You've got a chance. Memphis, Memphis, Indiana, Memphis. You've got a chance there. And by the way, the first two are at home. If you can win two of those three and beat Indiana, then all of a sudden you've got a little boost heading into the end of the season, okay? If you lose versus the Grizzlies, if the Grizzlies beat you two out of three times, then that Indiana game starts looking a lot more crucial and a lot tougher. And by the way, you need to win it just to stay at 500. That's a way different story. So it, how the Blazers play the Grizzlies is going to be the big story of this month because they play them three times and they're right in the middle of this remaining schedule. That will be, I think, the make or break moment, those games. Yeah. Definitely. It's going to be, it's, it's, we got a rough schedule. It's, it's tough. It's tough to be the Blazers right now. Look at the end. I, I just scrolled down the last three games of the season at the Utah Jazz, at the Phoenix Suns and home versus the Denver Nuggets. Now you might so hope basically that, what you're saying is someone hates us. <laughs> well, you might hope at that point that those teams have locked in their seeds. Utah might, but I don't think Phoenix and Denver are going to be comfortable. So, but what you hope is at the end of the season, they're resting players. Right. Even so, ouch, that's, that's pretty tough. Yeah, that's So rough. you've got to make hay. And that's only, by the way, a couple weeks after the, the last Grizzlies game. So you've got to get the wins where you can right now. And versus Memphis is the right now. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, because look, you got Brooklyn and you've also got the Lakers. Uh, in addition to those three. So you got five really, really, really tough games. And then you you even had two t really tough games before you hit the Grizzlies. So seven games around those Grizzly games are going to be really, really hard to win. You better win at least two of the three versus Memphis. Win all three yeah. if you can. That would be great. A nice little sweep there. I would take that. Nearly impossible, but that's really, this is what the Blazers Dave, are down come to. come on! <laughs> it's what the Blazers are down to. We shouldn't have to say this, but we really yeah. do given the last couple weeks so i gotta keep thinking that we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine yep. it's we're all gonna we're just gonna we're gonna be fine <laughs> play 500 ball finish uh eight games above 500 for the year i think is is the, that's the that's that's a good hope right now just play 500 ball on the way out and you'll be doing really really well problem is they're not likely to do that but as we keep saying stay out of the seven spot <laughs> just stay in yeah. six stay in six yeah 
We'll, we'll yeah, that's a conversation we probably need to have in the future. Well, we've too, had it but before, but it'll, it'll come clearer soon. All right, very yeah. good. Well, for Dia Miller, uh, I'm Dave Deckard. Thanks for hanging with us. We know this was a little bit exercised, but we love your uh, questions. You can send them on Twitter at Dave Deckard or at Deandra Ann, or sorry, Deandra Ann uh, <laughs> at Twitter. Also, blazersub at gmail.com, blazer, S U B, at gmail.com and we will see you again next week hopefully talking about a four game winning streak uh, yes cross cross fingers at least five a hater sees an opening down the lane moves towards the hoop but then dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away saying get that weak stuff out of here Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley -oop. She jams it. Boom! Shakalaka! The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent! <laughs>